episode 220 of the Global From Asia interview series podcast. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to download and listen to this podcast. And I know one less listener today, Frederick. I know how you are about listening to your own voice. So he is going to be our guest and probably skipping this one. So if you are listening, you can skip it now. All right, buddy. Well, everybody, it is almost April and it's almost my birthday. I was born almost on April Fool's Day. And it's funny, I've been reading some reviews on my Amazon books and, you know, I'm pretty open out there about my stories and uh, somebody called me almost, well, not the exact word fool, but some some people can be pretty harsh on reviews, but I got a pretty horrible review that didn't make my day today. And uh, if you do enjoy these things, these podcasts or books on Amazon or anything else, reviews always are appreciated. I do go through and check them. I haven't seen one on Global From Asia since 2017, so if you guys haven't left a review yet, we did. We have gotten quite a bit, but they do uh, help supposedly with the Apple iTunes search algorithm and everything else. Also, I was recently on a show with Chris Thomas, a listener and friend of mine. He has got a new podcast called The Australian Seller, T-A-S, and I was there talking about the business here, starting that e-commerce gladiator series with the Power Living team and other ventures and projects and of course the Cross Border Summit. I will link up his show in the show notes. Thank you so much, Chris. I believe you're listening and I appreciate that uh, having me on as a guest on your show. All right, everybody. And now let's talk about this week's show. We have Frederick, co-founder of ChinaImportal.com. They are doing great jobs uh, there. Ivan also is co-founder and everyone there. I met up with them when they were traveling between Shanghai and Vietnam. While I was down in Saigon, we got to connect and interview this, do this show in person in the Hive co-working space. So we talk about regulations, one of the deep and technical podcasts. I know people will learn a lot from this one. And you can probably hear my son in the background. It's uh, He's excited about this show too. So let me go check out what Miles is up to. Here we go. Episode 220 of Global From Asia. Globalfromasia.com slash episode 220 for the detailed show notes, transcriptions, and Frederick's nice little photo. We always put a photo of a guest on there and other info. Thanks, everybody. Let's go in. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another Global From Asia podcast. We're here on our Saigon, Vietnam campaign trip, and I finally get the chance to get a friend and, and listener, Frederick, 
from China Import Hall. It's it's great to have you here, Frederick. Thank you, Mike. Um, as you know, I've been a listener for about two years now. I think I found you on Twitter a couple of years back, like 2013. And that was the same time as, as, as me and Ivan Malocci um, co-founded ChinaImportal.com. Great. Thanks for that. I didn't even know how you found it. That's awesome. And today, you know, you're you're visiting Saigon. You're you're from. You, we met a lot in Hong Kong when you would come yeah. down for trade shows from Shanghai. Mm-hmm. How long have you been out here in Asia? I moved. Uh, I think it was in August 2009. Now I know that was in August 2009, and I moved to Shanghai. I was studying electronic engineering in Sweden, where I come from, and uh, just wanted to try something else. So uh, me and a friend uh, who's also here in Saigon right now, and a business partner, Marcus, he uh, he and I decided to go and try to study Mandarin Chinese in Shanghai. We couldn't even say ni hao <laughs> at the time, so that was as radical as anything we could come up with. So we moved to China, and I studied for one year at Fudan University, just Mandarin Chinese. And uh, then I co-founded uh, a website called Scandination.se, which is a sourcing, well, a sourcing company with my Chinese partner, Liu Wei. And uh, yeah, our office and company is still based in Shanghai. I s- split time between Saigon and, and Shanghai these days, uh, but that's still where we're based. Great. So that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, Asia is so, so diverse. How has your experience been so far? I mean, this is my second visit here to Saigon. Mm-hmm. How, how are your experiences seeing it? It's been definitely developing. We're here at the mm-hmm. Hive co-working where we, we do some Global From Asia events. And, and uh, there's more and more expats or digital nomads mm-hmm. and business owners all over the place here. It's getting pretty exciting. Yeah, in terms of life quality, this this place definitely beats Shanghai in that aspect. We had an idea to to set up an office here in Saigon, but after we found out how complicated that actually is, uh, I got to say that even though China, well, Shanghai, uh, the only place I'm living in in China, may not be as nice, like in terms of lifestyle, but. Um, when it comes to running a company, it's still superior to to this place. Interesting, interesting feedback. I didn't believe that actually, but I've been on the ground for three months now. So cool! Thanks for sharing the insights. So today, you know, I remember our talk when we first met. I, I even remember the Hong Kong brew house in Long Kai Fong where we had lunch together, and you were talking amazing stuff about product certifications mm-hmm. and regulations between all these different yeah. countries and and uh, borders. So I think it's a great topic. Today we haven't really covered that on on the show, so I think before we go into the technical or details, maybe just give us a high level idea of what is what is all this regulations for products certifications in the manufacturing. In- okay, so a product regulation is uh, you can divide it into four aspects of regulations or four different legs. Okay. Number one, you have the chemical regulations or heavy metals regulations. This could be, well, restrictions on certain substances in children's products or even textiles or even in electronics, in PCBs and so on. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, we have product safety standards and and these can regulate uh, electrical safety, mechanical proportions, 
for example, say a plastic eye on a teddy bear. That's one example. Mm -hmm. uh, sharp edges and so on. Number three, we have labeling requirements. CE marking, made in China, made in India, um, FCC labels, all of these things. D, or well, number four, we have documentation requirements. This could be about a cell certification procedure. You may have to create a declaration of conformity. It means you issue this document on your own uh, according to well standards that apply to this product, information that you must have on this document. You may need to have lab test reports. You may need to have uh, a BOM, maybe design drawings and so on. Um, and five lab testing requirements. You may or may not be forced to get a test report for that specific batch, okay? But even if it's not mandatory, you can still get a request from say the customs authorities forcing you to provide a test report to prove that the product is compliant. Or even more now, it's actually more likely that Amazon will get to you and ask you for compliance documents like this. And these requirements differ between countries. So you have a different set of regulations within say the EU as compared to the US. And then you have a different set of regulations in Australia, New Zealand and so on. Makes sense. Very complex though. And yeah, like you, you mentioned Amazon, there's a lot of, you know, listeners or mm. it's a huge market of more and more entrepreneurs going on to Amazon. I remember I started on eBay. I tell people back in 0304. So I think a lot of times it's not that the people don't want to do it or don't want to pay for it because of course there's costs, which maybe we can give some ideas about that later. But I think, you know, you listed these five, which is great. So should, should somebody look through, how do people even know what they need? <laughs> like, I think I, I kind of outlined in my outline here is like, there's a manufacturer. Some people think the factory should know. Some people think the logistics company, or maybe if you have a sourcing company, or if you, you know, maybe Amazon should tell you, or the worst I think is to wait until the end buyer tells you, <laughs> or the, the lawyer tells you. <laughs> so, uh, is there any kind of framework you suggest so they even know? I mean, I know your website, China Portal, has a lot of these great guides. Is that something should, I mean, of course, we, we'd love to help promote you and give you business. Is that the best thing? I mean, it seems like people don't even know. Like, in any, like we went through it within the Gladiator series with the MSDS reports and the battery, and then Amazon says you need it, and then you're rushing to get the factory and, and kind of working backwards. But I think the best is to be proactive, right? So is there, is, is, I guess it's the responsibility, right, of the seller or the importer to know it, right? But how would they even find out? It's a great question. And I say that's actually what makes everything complicated because getting these documents right is actually really easy. And uh, getting a lab test report is about submitting a product sample to, a, well, to an accredited uh, testing company. But as you say, actually finding the information and understanding how to go from, okay, I've got a product that I found on Alibaba or Global Sources and make that compliant. Um, that's what's complicated. First, let me just explain where, well, what you should not expect to get the information, where you should not expect <laughs> to get the information. And number one is that that's your supplier. Exactly. A, a lot of buyers have the idea that, okay, you make the product, so you should know, but Chinese suppliers or any Asian supplier, OEM or ODM, are not compliance experts. It's not their job. They're not law firms. They can't be expected to keep up to date with every single regulation in every country in the world. It's just not realistic. Um, 
Second, you shouldn't ask your logistics company. It's not their job. They may have a very basic understanding, the same way that some Chinese suppliers, they kind of know that the product should be CE marked. So they put the CE mark on electronics. But this doesn't mean that they have the right documentation or even that the product is technically compliant. It's designed to be compliant. These are very different things. So where can you find the information? Yes, we do provide um, we provide tutorials. So that's right. You can find it on our blog in a starter package, uh, but we don't manage the compliance procedures for our customers. We provide checklists and templates, and there are different services you can use. Product IP is one of these services. They provide, um, how should I explain this? They provide different requirements list okay so if you're based in european union you can go on productip.com and you can buy a requirements list outlining what kind of labels do you need which documentation what kind of documents do you need do you need to get lab testing for this specific product so that's one way get a pdf file but that will not magically make your product compliant you need to understand this information um, in the United States, there's something called the Small Business Ombudsman. This is a free service provided by the CPSC as the Cons Consumer Product Safety Commission. I think, I think that's it, but cpsc.gov. And you can ask basically any compliance-related question to the Small Business Ombudsman, and they will give you uh, a free assessment. They can tell you, okay, you need to comply with this and that standard for this product. And this is a very good service. Uh, it only exists in the US as far as I am aware. It's only the CPSC that provides this. Now keep in mind that the CPSC only covers uh, regulations that they administer, okay? So you take an electronic product, it's covered by FCC regulations, it's also covered by uh, CPSC, uh, CPSC regulations, and then you have state regulations, like in California you have, they have their own set of regulations. So even within the US, it's very fragmented. When it comes to getting an all-in-one compliance assessment, you have to go to a lawyer or a consultant, a compliance consultant. It's the only way. I think that this will definitely, it will evolve rapidly in the coming two, three years because there's so much money in this space. And there are some companies like Standard.io, it's Standard with an E, Standard.io. Uh, it's a Singaporean-based company and they provide, they are specialized in creating compliance documentations specifically for, for medical devices. So I think we will see more and more online services. We can help you get your compliance documentation right for, say, electronics in the EU or in the US. But you won't find a website that will do everything for you for 500 bucks and cover whatever product. That doesn't exist because this is just too complicated. Mm, yeah, which exactly kind of leads to my next point, which... You know, like some people say, just skip products with batteries or skip certain product categories. Some are more complex than others. Is there like a way to maybe say an easy product category versus a difficult? I mean, electronics seem very challenging because there's a lot of certifications you must need, you know, electricity and batteries and and even turnover because it expires. So... Do you want to share some maybe, or is there a way to say this category is an easy category and this category is a difficult category? 
Definitely. Every product is regulated one way or the other. In the US, for example, everything must be labeled according to the country of origin. So that's why we have made in China everywhere. They don't put that label for fun uh, because they are forced to. So in that sense, everything is regulated. But there's a big difference between, say, children's products and electronics and compare that to, say, a T-shirt for adults. Now, how do you define a product that is more complicated? You take, say, children's products sold in the United States must comply with something called CPSIA. And CPSIA means that first you need to assess which, stand, which ASTM standards apply to that product, which substance regulations apply to that product, where there's only one substance regulation, but which substances, okay? And your, your testing company, your lab, can help you with that, such as Asia Inspection. Then you need to issue a certificate, so called a children's product certificate, and then you need to be sure that the product carries a tracking label. And you need to create, you need to create a lab test plan and you need to submit that product for compliance testing. So it may sound complicated, but it's, it's a self-certification procedure. It's very straightforward. The requirements are very clear. So yes, a bit more complicated, but it's still about, this is, this is, these are children's products. They must of course be regulated. We can't accept that mm -hmm. you have importers putting anything on the market and then, you know, try to blame the supplier when something goes wrong. This is about kids. Um, electronics is way more complicated because the re regulations safety-wise are not that clear. In the US is based on uh, UL, underwriter laboratories and ETL and so on, which are not required by law. They are not mandatory, but what if something explodes? What if you import, say, a shard, like a phone charger or a power bank and it explodes? So these are regulated because they are more risky. Now, let's take kitchen appliances, non-electrical, like kitchen, like, I don't know, a fork. It is regulated because it's a food contact material, but you can, well, you can prove compliance by sending that product to a, a test lab. SGS or Intertech or something like that. So you don't have to issue a lot of documentation. Um, what else? Textiles. You need to get the textiles label right. And depending on where you sell, you, you can decide if you want to get lab testing done or not. But a t-shirt will not strangle someone. It's, it's not like a medical device. It, it's not a laser. So it's not as regulated as a laser device. True. Yeah, the children's one. I've I've heard some scary stories where the kid will eat the battery mm -hmm. and then have to go to get a stomach pumped. And especially as a as a fairly new father, of course, obviously you get especially the parents, you know, want to make somebody <laughs> pay for that. And uh, unfortunately, the factories aren't the ones that get in trouble. It's the importer, right? The importer of record is the one that's really the most liable if. If there's a product liability problem. Yeah, that, that's how it works. The import is even defined as the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that the CPSC would even consider to, to, to bother going after a foreign supplier. And with foreign, I mean anything outside of the US or anything outside of the EU in, in, if you're based in Europe. They will go after the importer. They always go after the importer. Uh, that, that's just how it works because you need to have a liable party. Yeah. Where where basically there's somebody that's in charge of 
you know, they have a tax ID, you know, EIN or social security number, somebody, you know, that's why I, I don't think I talk about too much on the show, but I'm in China as an American and I work with Chinese people and, uh, I've had lawyer letters and stuff, even if I'm not directly involved because they're just looking for anybody with a U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. connection to, uh, connect to the, to the business. I'm more talking about fake products on online and they'll Google names and find my blogs and email me about these people, usually Chinese people. And it's a uh, part of being a blogger maybe, but <laughs> so yeah, I definitely think electronics and baby products, maybe some clothing or seem more challenging, but of course that maybe keeps other competitors out of the market. Right. So I think as a listener, you shouldn't just go for the easy, quote unquote easy product just because of this. I think if you do something challenging that uh it keeps you as a little bit of an advantage too. And now here's the this one I remember a really deep conversation, uh, which could maybe be a post by itself. You know, American versus like European regulations and certifications, like you were just saying, there's it's so complex and these I think Europe uh is I don't want to say it, is more strict, I feel, than America generally. I don't know if I'm wrong or not, but I feel like they're or at least more proactive about regulations and even with the, the internet and like you get those pop-ups about the your cookies on your computer and uh, things like that. So do you want to give us some kind of understanding of, you know, these differences of Europe and the U.S. and these uh, importing of products? This is a very interesting uh, topic, Mike. Yeah, um, exactly. So, in uh, this is this this comes down to history, and in the EU, it's more top down. The EU has very clear regulations, implement or directives. Uh, so, say that I want to import electronics and sell them in the EU. It's fairly easy for me to make an assessment. It's 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 very clear what I have to comply with. I know which documentations I need. I, I know I know which standards I need to get it tested for, and so on. And EU directives are also the most well uh, well known in in other countries, including in China. So if I'm sourcing, say, LED uh, light bulbs, I can go to a supplier and say, okay, I I want to I want this one to comply with the low voltage directive or ROHS, for example, ROS. So they are well-known, established, and you have to comply with these directives to import products to the EU. The United States is um, it's more up to you. That's how it works. You take, there, there is no uh, corresponding regulation in the US that compares to these EU directives, at least not for uh, electronics. So it, it's kind of up to you as an importer to assess, okay, how do I have to make this product safe? Because end of the day, if that charger blows up and a house burns down, or or even worse, if someone dies yeah. and you are the importer record in the United States, the lawsuit you will face will bring you out on the street. Like this is serious. This yeah. is seriously scary things. Really and if it really goes down to to that situation, I think I'd rather be in Europe compared to the US uh-huh. because it's it's you don't want to face those lawyers. You don't want to face an army of lawyers. Yeah. So in that sense. Yes, you do have more freedom in the US, the outcome is the same, and it can actually be more complex to, at least for small businesses. If you're big, if you're Apple, this is a non-issue. It's even better in that case, because then you can say, okay, I want to comply this way. 
and you don't have to comply with the more maybe straightforward forward, but also more rigid uh, European regulations. But as a small importer, it can be very hard to even assess, okay, how do I make this product safe now? True. So I understand it sounds, it sounds a bit vague, abstract, but the EU is more, well, state top down comply with this or don't import in the US. Well, it's up to you to make this product safe, but if something goes wrong, that will be on you. Yeah, and uh, we'll have Danny on the show too, which you connected us to and, and we're doing some business with. He's he's manufacturing here in Vietnam and he asked us for product liability insurance in the US uh, and we're, we should have done that already, but in our own, in the, in the FBA business we're doing, we're, we're looking into that because that's a that's also not, I believe, required. I, I'm afraid to be quoted on that, but <laughs> that's the tricky part about the U.S. Like, I think to summarize what you say is, it's it's like you can do something or not do something, but yeah, if if something goes wrong, you're still the one that's getting nailed as the importer and the brand owner or the yeah, a quote unquote manufacturer as far as the US is concerned. So they can let you, you can slip in these products, maybe skip, skip some steps or cut some corners and save some money up front. But it's, uh, it's definitely scary. I, I think I've talked about some of my other stories of quality problems in the past and in, in the US. And uh, it's, it's really scary because I think it's really the legal system or the lawyers that are, they get commission on how much they can get out of you. And uh, everybody wants to, Everybody wants to nail you, so you don't want to be a target for sure. So it's just better safe than sorry. And I know that's easy to say, as you know, here sitting doing a podcast interview, but it's uh, it's better to do your homework up front than than later. And of course, you'll spend money, maybe extra money or time, but uh, you know, we always recommend to do that. So yeah, talking about cutting corners, you know, maybe what are some what are some costs people should kind of ranges, you know, maybe if you want to talk about some of your services or talk in general uh, about what normally somebody should expect to pay to, to do this the right way or to protect themselves or protect their consumer or buyer and buyer. Yeah. That when it comes to compliance costs, it, it really comes down to how much of the procedure you are willing to handle on your own or well, how much of the procedure you can manage on your own. And I just want to make something clear. I think I think at this stage in the podcast, many people feel really scared. Like, <laughs> okay, I shouldn't be importing anything from anywhere. I should just, well, you know, go find a job or something instead. And I want to make it clear that uh, it, it's electronics that is the big risk. That's the big complication. And of course, um, like pharma products, like mm. introduce a new drug on the market. But I don't think that's really the audience anyway. So... Yeah. If, if you're in, into textiles, accessories, watches, even children's products, regulations are pretty straightforward and you will most likely not end up on the street. I want to make that clear sure. because I, I, it's easy to go a bit too far on these things. Sure. But when it comes to electronics, you've got to be careful. So when it comes to costs, okay, lab testing is... Well, the only cost that many uh, many importers consider when it comes to ensuring compliance and the point of a lab test is to get a test report that you can show if requested uh, to say Amazon or to um, to the customs authorities or to retailers and so on to prove that, okay, this product is compliant with say the low voltage directive or FCC part 15 or maybe some ASTM regulation or a standard. 
Okay, so that's the point of a lab test report. And you should do that before shipment at the same time as you do a quality control. So lab testing fees for say a chemical test for a t-shirt, two different colors, five, 600 USD. That's what you should expect. Okay. And lab testing is not always mandatory and it's not always mandatory for every single color, every single material, plastic, fabric, and so on. So it's kind of up to you to make an assessment Okay, I got a T-shirt in eight colors, um, but I can settle for two different colors, you know, just to to show that to the customs authorities, and then it's in turn up to them to decide is this is this enough? Do we need more? Okay. But it's normally enough. That's normally more than you need. So five six hundred. Okay. Electronics is more complicated. So for electronics, it could be anything from a thousand up to well more than ten fifteen k for more complicated uh, testing procedures. But if we stick to consumer products, okay, you have say, uh, I don't know, one of these coffee coffee presses or something like that, five, four, 500, that's what I would expect, maybe even less. So it's not, not that much money. Mm-hmm. You don't have to test every single batch. So it's kind of up to you. If you change out materials, components, coatings, et cetera, then yes, you have, you should be doing lab testing again. But otherwise, maybe every third or fourth order could, could be enough. God. It's not like clear requirements. This is how you do it. It's on a case-to-case basis. And, and keep in mind that these things are still be, it, this is still in motion in many ways. Yeah. And another point it made me think of is when I did the bartending supplies for many years, we would sell to distributors or we sell to stores. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these importers have extra requirements on top of maybe the bare minimum of a the U.S. or maybe Europe. So if you're selling, you know, we were selling liquor uh, pr- promotional products to uh, Bacardi and stuff, and they they had these huge requirements where they made the material. We had to get materials tests, and it, they even had more re- stringent material percentages of certain types of materials or certain types of materials that were allowed to be sold in the U.S. But they themselves didn't allow it in their own company. So. I know we're mo- a, lot of te- a lot of people are on eBay, I mean, Amazon right now, but sometimes if you're selling B2B or stores, they have their own policies that might be even more strict or at least maybe at least clear up front. Um, so that's something else to think about. And I think you kind of covered this. This is one of my last questions. We, it's been a great show so far. Or, or do you want to say something to that? Yeah, I do, because lab testing is not everything. If you want to hire a consultant to to make an assessment on which documentations you need, uh, what kind of labels you need to create and so on. Then you're looking at everything from, I don't know, like 1500 USD up to tens of thousands, depending on the complexity. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, so, sure, that's good. But, and, and of course, if you're willing to put time, if you're willing to put time into it and, and make your own assessment, um, then you can do that for free. You will be trading time. Sure. So lab testing is, is pretty straightforward to make an assessment of, but it's, it's not that easy to make an assessment of the cost when it comes to documentation and, and so on. Once I got quoted uh, on behalf of a customer, we asked Intertech to how much they were charging to make an assessment on which regulations applied to, I can't remember, some electronic product. And they quoted like 6,000 euros just to send a list. That's one PDF file. It's like that. So, and that was a pretty simple product. So we made that assessment on our, our own instead. So it depends. That's a, that's a long answer. Yeah, that's a good answer too. I mean, 
of course, I know entrepreneurs or bootstrapping business owners, digital nomads. You know, obviously, I understand the hustle. I, I I'm in there often, mindset and around these people. But yeah, you can do everything yourself. I tell people you don't need a lawyer, you don't need a dentist, you don't need a company formation business, you don't need anybody. You can do everything your, yourself. You can, you know, I mean, I have a I have an AI. I'm so happy in China. I have an AI. And we pay her a monthly salary. She helps a lot with the stuff. I mean, so yeah, of course, everybody listening, it's it's up to you what you want to learn and sometimes learn by making mistakes and spending a lot of extra time, just like anything in, in business or in life. So it's worth considering for everybody listening to use a expert or not. So, but I'll, I guess it's, you, I think you kind of covered it like about, is this the first time you do the product? Say it's a new product, a new ASIN, or if you're talking about Amazon, like Amazon listing, or is this something you have to do every, every single manufacturing run or on a spot check? You know, I know quality control, you should do a check every time, but is lab test price a one, time thing or optional or spot check or these other types of checks or should that be integrated with your QC process or maybe some, some tips at least. Cause it's probably like a, it may, it depends question answer. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> one of those. This is a big, it depends podcast, but um, it depends when it, yes. Okay. <laughs> when it comes to uh, the first time we launch a product, you should consider doing lab testing before you even go into mass production. So when you have a pre-shipment sample, okay, that's when you should consider to get that product lab tested. And for t-shirts, that may not be so important, but if it is an electronic product or, or a children's product, uh, which basically leads you in a scenario where if the product fails lab testing, you lose that entire order then that's game over. Mm. So while for a t-shirt, it's very unlikely, it is quite unlikely at least that it will fail lab testing. Mm -hmm. I have never had issues with textiles, for example, even, even textiles made for the domestic Chinese market. So for uh, the first time we launch a product, consider to do lab testing on a pre-shipment sample. Then you should also do batch lab testing on the first production run. And that should be a sample collected from that specific batch. I know that when you sell uh, toys and children's products in the US, they only accept batch samples. They're very specific about that. And you even need to implement a uh, lab testing plan. That's not a specific term, but something like that. You need to have a plan in order uh, that you must show to the authorities or anyone requesting it to prove that, okay, we will do retesting if we change out the fabrics, the plastic materials and so on, or every, say, second or third order or something like that. So they see that you don't just don't go into infinity and rely on that one lab test that will quickly become dated. Makes sense. I think that's a good, I know there's always the, it depends in, in well, this show or anything in life or, or business, but thanks for that uh, perspective. So we're getting towards the end and uh, it seems like we're filling up <laughs> uh, the time here in the hive, which is great. It's been a great uh, recording. So let's talk about China and Portal. You, you know, you came in China 09 and you had, I remember we talked about your Swedish business and then you started this uh, about the same time Global From Asia started. Mm. Do you want to share a little bit about 
what, what you are working on with the China Import Hall business and maybe how listeners could benefit from it? Yeah, we provide free tutorials, document templates and uh, uh, well, other material that you need to go step by step through the procedure. Uh, Basically, it's a do-it-yourself platform where you go from creating a product specification to, to product launch. And we integrate that with service partners such as Fredos, uh, Sophie's Limited, uh, Renault and Gerard. Renault, yeah, so you can book show. shipping, quality control and so on. And yeah, you get discounts in addition to that. And you can book lab testing with our great friends at uh, asiainspection.com. And you get directly to Rahul Chawla, which is uh, the account manager, Barry very intelligent man and he will take good care of you. Yeah. So that's what we do and we have a free version. So you can just go to chinaimportal.com, sign up for the free version. Cool. And if you like what you see, you can you can upgrade, but I'm not going to force you. <laughs> yeah, it's good style. Let people do it themselves or, or have value add. So thanks so much, Frederick. I'm so happy we got to catch up here in Vietnam. And while I'm, I'm down here and, and appreciate you listening to the show and, and making intros to future guests and partners, suppliers we're working with. How can, so of course, ChinaImportal.com, is there other ways or, or uh, we will definitely link up anything on the show notes as always. LinkedIn. LinkedIn, okay. Um, that's, uh, I think, apart from the website, I think LinkedIn is the best way to awesome. get in touch with me. Thanks so much again. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Frederick, for sharing. I had a lot of fun. Glad we got to catch this while I was down in Saigon, Vietnam, or Ho Chi Minh City. There's a lot of cool stuff happening there. Next week, we got another Vietnam topic or another interview I did while I was in Vietnam about manufacturing down in Vietnam with uh, the supplier we're working with that actually Frederick introduced us to. So I will leave you on the hook. I'll leave you on the edge of your seat, edge of your headphones for that one. And... I'm going to get back to working hard on promoting Cross-Border Summit. It is less than a month away now and our third annual, and it's always a big focus of what we do here. And I know a lot of you can't make it out to China. I understand, actually, I've been just issuing visa letters, invitation letters. It's such a hassle. So I do understand, but we do have an online ticket that we get the majority of the content there and you get access to the different groups, WeChat groups and everything else. So it is... Also appreciate it and it supports this show, crossbordersummit.com slash 2018. And Frederick's giving me some other tips about monetizing the traffic and the audience because he does believe this podcast is very valuable and we should be, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but take, taking more uh, value back from it because I hope you guys are getting good value. I'm a little bit exhausted. I do these on Friday afternoons. I should uh, take a little day off. I'm going to probably watch a movie with the family, to be honest. After this, we're getting a dinner and a movie. Life, it's a good, it's the simple things in life, right? It's the simple things in life uh, that uh, we all enjoy. So thank you, everybody, for listening all the way to the end. I always wonder if you guys finish that interview and hit skip. There's no analytics to see how far in the show wonder if I could just keep rambling and if you're still going to listen. Maybe you're in a car. Maybe I can say something crazy right now. But thanks again for listening. Maybe we can put some music on here. i, I got to figure out how people put music. Is there a royalty or what? Or it's probably royalty-free f- music. But that's about it. Goldforage.com slash episode 220. 
It'll be up as long as I keep the hosting going, but uh, don't get scared about that. I'm already planning to have my kids keep paying my hosting bill after I die, so I hope this show goes on for a long, long time. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Bye-bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.